This is Joel Kotkin. And this is Marshall Toplansky. And you're listening to the Feudal Future Podcast. Our society is being rapidly reduced to a feudal state, a process now being exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Millions of small businesses are near extinction. Millions more are losing their jobs. And many others will be stuck in the status of propertyless serfs. The big winners have been the expert class of the clerisy, and most of all, the tech oligarchs, who benefit as people rely more on algorithms than human relationships. With this, around the world, the middle class is becoming more squeezed than ever, and it's having profound economic, social, and spiritual implications. Here on the show, we're having conversations with business, government, and citizen leaders like you to get to the core of these issues and explore how we can work together to form a better future than the one we're headed towards. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Feudal Future Podcast. I'm Marshall Toplansky. I'm Joel Kotkin. And uh, today we are delighted to have three really fascinating panelists to talk about the topic of anti-Semitism. With us today are uh, Susan Seeley, who is the former director of UCI's Olive Tree Initiative, uh, and she has been very active in the Jewish community in Orange County. Uh, Ed Heyman, who is a colleague of of Joel's and mine in the research area, currently uh, a volunteer and consultant uh, in Jewish community matters, uh, especially with the um, with the Jewish Federation and Family Services, and Rabbi David El Ezri, who is the spiritual leader of the uh, Chabad of North County, a longtime member of the Orange County community, came here in uh, 1988 to start uh, Chabad operations. He's the president of the Rabbinical Council of Orange County in Long Beach, on the board of uh, Jewish Federation and Family Services of Orange County on the Board of Governors of the Jewish Agency. Welcome to everyone. Thank you. So um, if I could start it off, first of all, obviously anti-Semitism was a major feature of feudalism. So we have a good connection historically. Um, And I think as we see today, that anti-Semitism had various different permutations from opportunistic, uh, uh, aristocrats to bishops to uh, eventually um, uh, the Protestants um, and uh, and of course the good old uh, grassroots anti-Semitism, which seems to never quite go away. But I'd like to just start well a- asking um, Rabbi Eliazri, um, who just came back from Israel, um, what's the perception in Israel about anti-Semitism in America? Uh, America was always seen as the as the great exception in the history of the diaspora. Um, I still, I still think it is the great exception, but there's a perception. And I do feel it's, I still feel it's the great exception. I think America is a unique, remarkable country. We do have anti-Semites. I think they're somewhat marginalized. We don't find it institution institutionally in the United States, but there is a sense in Israel like, Oh, what's happening to you guys. And why was this so strange here? I go to Israel. I arrived there a day or so after a war ends. And they're worried about safety of people in Los Angeles. It was a pretty kind of strange dichotomy to find from Israelis. I'm down in the South. 
in the city of Sderot, where they're being shelled every Monday, every Monday and Tuesday by, by Hamas. And if you heard, you know, maybe the, the, there were 4,000 rockets that went off in about a week and a half, two weeks. Well, they get it almost every couple of days. And how are you guys doing in California? They're worried. You know, the, there's a sushi bar in Los Angeles where there was an attack and they would think all of us are under siege. It's somewhat uh, a lack of a sophisticated view of America. But uh, there is this sense over there that something's happening in America. Um, uh, Susan, um, does that make sense to you? Or is that what you're hearing? I'm sure you're in touch with people in Israel. Yes, I am. Um, yes, also, it's a similar kind of understanding. You know, um, from my experience, and, and I know this is probably an experience we all have, Israelis have already a much more nuanced understanding of all of these issues because they're living they're living it day by day. They're living the violence. They're living the political um, madness. Can I say <laughs> for over the with the, the you know four elections over the past two years, um, and they have a perspective that is often um, not communicated or misunderstood by those of us in the di- diaspora. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of conflation of events and um, just understandings where because we all want to, you know, move towards simplification. And we've seen that more and more, of course, in our political discourse and all. It's this kind of um, wanting to have a binary and simplistic understanding of what's going on. And I think that applies to the issues around anti-Semitism and Israel and Zionism and all of these issues that are so nuanced and complex. But people need to, you know, try to make them understandable and simplistic and also to, you know, hang their own identities on them. So, yes, I I agree with what Rabbi Eliezer said. Um, Ed, Ed, I've got a question for you as a former national security software engineer uh, and somebody who's involved in tracking a lot of um, fringe activity. What is your sense? Is, you know, we read a lot about the reemergence of anti-Semitism. We see a lot of right wing and left wing activity going on. Is it getting worse in the United States for Jews or not? You are muted. You're muted, Ed. I think absolutely it's getting worse. Sorry about that, Ricky mistake. Um, I think absolutely. Uh, and 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 while, you know, I, I don't know that we have yet uh, sufficient hard numbers uh, to, to address exactly how bad it is, I think that it, it, it has increased uh, the anecdotal evidence is overwhelming. The media attention on the problem is is uh, uh, thick, um, and I think that it's a it's 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 an outpouring uh, that goes along with trends that are happening not only in the United States but around the world. I think that there has been uh, the the the. Uh, political situation as it currently exists and has existed over the last decade or so with the move towards increased polarization between left and right, uh, the uh, unfettered language that is coming out of both uh, the, the, the left extreme and right extreme, which is giving cover 
to people to reemerge from the from the woodwork in which they've burrowed over the last 30 or 40 years uh, to come back out in the light of day and express themselves and express their hatreds uh, has all led to what's happening. And then just the social disintegration that goes along with uh, COVID lockdowns and the fears and the and the, the natural tendency on the part of human beings to go tribal uh, in times of crisis, uh, the the ancient hatred I think has reemerged strongly, and uh, it's 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 evident uh, in social media. It's evident in on the streets. Uh, people are taking action into their own hands. Uh, they're 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 marching. They're protesting. And it's not any particular faction of left or right. Uh, it, it's across the spectrum. So well, as Jews, as Jews, are we pulling together as a community? If you look at the history of the Jewish people, when we've faced, historically, when we've faced anti-Semitic problems, um, we've banded together. Do we see, see the same sense of cohesion and will to fight anti-Semitism? What do you guys think? I think there is a certain sense of will, but I must disagree with Ed about his analysis, because I think there's a profound difference right now between the anti-Semitism of the right, which is regulated usually to people who are a bit crazy, than the anti-Semitism on the left, where we had a school board member in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in Virginia uh, last day or two talk about jihad from a podium during a school board graduation. And the school board said that's all about freedom of speech which really it's blatant anti-Semitism. So I think that we have a problem in this country and we have a problem coming to grips with what this is because it's easy to say this word right and left. And I think there is anti-Semitism on the right, but it's basically politically impotent. It's radicalized individuals who do terrible things, which has happened in Poway or what happened in the synagogue in, in, in Pittsburgh. What we're seeing on the other end of the spectrum is four members of Congress who are openly anti-Semitic and a Democratic Party who doesn't want to condemn them. I think that's politically impotence and that lacks a certain kind of courage. I'm not, and I think there is on the right, but I think what we're seeing is a manifestation on the left of political power, which is being beginning to use for Jews. And for Jews who historically have supported the more left end of the political spectrum, they are having difficulty coming to terms with this their own group of campers turning on them and they don't exactly know to hand it. And a lot of that comes from a sense of Jewish insecurity because we have a problem. When Jews act like Jews, people, people respect proud Jews. And there's many Jews in this country who don't, who have the sense of inner doubt. Maybe it's really my fault. Maybe we wouldn't be like this. If Gaza wasn't being bombed because of shooting missiles at Jews in Israel, oy, everybody wouldn't hate us anymore. When really, this is just today a new manifestation. It used to be we hated the Jews because they, they went after the Jewish. They, they did this. They did this. Now the new manifestation of anti-Semitism is a manifestation against Jews' self, self, you know, sense of nationalism. Nobody challenges the right for people in Peru to have a country, but people want to challenge the right for Jews to restore, return to their historical homeland. That's anti-Semitism. And Jews who are not so well educated about Judaism and Jews who lack that sense of self-security are afraid to be too strong in standing up to it. Uh, Susan, I assume you have a different take. <laughs> you know, it, it's not necessarily a different take, but uh, but to Marshall's question, I, I I do think there is a coming a coming together around this, and I think um, maybe differently than the than the you know the left and the right, as um, Rabbi was was articulating, the people more in the center are really dismayed and 
coming together around um, understanding this and communicating about it and pulling together about it. I mean, those are the, the forums and the discussions that I've been a part of. Um, and I, I heard Deborah Lipstadt talk about this just recently. And she, to your point, Rabbi, about the, the people on the left and the difficulties with um, people who are engaged in social activism and then kind of now turning to, to their neighbors in these social activism groups and, and having difficulties explaining their own identification with, with Israel and all. She, she points out that, you know, it's hard to be in this space of um, social, social justice and social activism and it's hard for the people themselves to be in it. They won't admit themselves to their own bigotry. How can I be a bigot? I'm part of the social justice group. You know, so they're not, they're the non-Jews who are in these groups are not owning their own bigotry. And so it's making this conversation really hard because you can't call them out in a way that you can the people on the right who it's just blatant, obvious bigotry and hatred and all. So that's a conversation too in those spaces that's happening more and more that I think is um, is productive. Um, and, and another thing that Deborah Lipstadt said that that I just loved because so much of this too is tied up with, you know, kind of these conspiracy notions and all. And she says, you can't fight stupid with information. So that's another, you know, another um, difficulty that we're having because, you know, the level headed kind of Jews who, you know, want to bring nuance and understanding to this whole um, issue, you know, we've got all the facts and figures and it's just falling on deaf ears because again, getting back to the the simplicity and, and what, you know, Ed was saying about tribalism and all that doesn't, it doesn't uh, support nuance and facts and figures and, and understanding um, a different narrative. Uh, I, I would just like, Ed, you're involved in the actual policy making inside the Federation. What, what should we be doing? Um, what steps can Jews take to protect themselves? Like, you know, we obviously learned the lesson that acquiescence doesn't work. <laughs> I think that's sort of a big lesson from uh, from fifty uh, or sixty years ago. So, um, Ed, what do you, what, what do you what can the community do? What should it be doing? I think we should be listening to our neighbors a little bit more. I think that we should be trying to find out uh, to a certain extent um, why. Uh, our existence tends to excite passions to the extent that uh, it does. I think that uh, too often uh, we have our, well, let me, let me, let me rephrase. We have our own counterculture among the, the, the Jewish people. It consists of two phrases. One is anti-Semitism. The other is the Holocaust. Uh, we're, we're, in, we're going through a period of time right now uh, where there is a growing community of people who believe that it's time to uh, look at the institutional racism that is existent within the structural uh, framework of the United States of America and in many parts of the world. Uh, this isn't something that I necessarily adhere to, but as a political scientist, I'm very interested in watching it develop. Uh, I think that it's a little too easy, a little too glib to take someone who's got uh, a criticism of us or our people or our behavior or the way we treat other people or any of the concomitant rainbow of activities that we get uh, ascribed to 
as a people and dismiss it by either saying that, oh, well, they're invoking the Holocaust and they have no right to do that, or that's anti-Semitism and there's no, there's no grounds for it. Uh, the left gets a lot of latitude in the press, and I will admit that, but I think that the right also bears a lot of responsibility for the vitriol and the hatred that exists out there. Uh, to Rabbi Eliezri's point, yes, there is a body of, of, of people in Congress uh, who um, are openly expressing their doubts uh, and their quite frankly, distaste and hatred for Jews. There are also a concomitant number of people on the right who are doing the exact same thing. And yet we, we for some reason, uh, give them a pass because, well, quite frankly, because they are simply echoing things that have, they've been saying, you know, since the 1860s and before, uh, and, and we just write them off as kooks. Uh, we don't look at the systemic rationality behind their statements. We we just say, oh, those are guys who are just blowhards. Well, you know, let's be honest. I think that um, AOC, in many respects, is a blowhard. I think that Al Sharpton is a blowhard. I also think that uh, Louis Gohmert and Paul Goser and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Madison Cawthorn are blowhards. Uh, and I don't think that we can dismiss one group and say they're kooks and then rail heavy on the other side because they're being anti-Semitic. I think they're all being anti-Semitic. And I think the bottom line is that I think we have to look into ourselves and decide what is it that we're doing as a people to propagate these moves, these attitudes. And is there any way that we can educate and to Susan's point, yes, there is no magic pill for stupidity. But I, I, I have to say that I think that doing good works in the community, um, opening ourselves up, being a little less insular, building relationships, building networks with other faith-based organizations, opening ourselves up, um, um, looking for avenues of mutual support and outreach and cross-communication, uh, can go a long way. Chabad is legion at this, and, and, and I have utmost respect for the fact that usually in any emergency, virtually anywhere around the world, the first rescue team on the ground is Chabad, followed up very shortly by, uh, you know, the, 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 Israeli, the, the Israeli Red Cross. We don't get credit for that. But I think that it's the kind of, of interaction with the world community we need to have. Uh, Israel has and Jews have tremendous capacity and resources to do good in the world. And I think that we need to do more of it. I think that we need to fear less and do more in terms of opening ourselves up and in terms of, of, of fighting the, the good fight rather than constantly reacting to the bad fight. I think that there are grounds for reacting to the bad fight. I think there are grounds for responding to anti-Semitism as it occurs. But by the same token, I think that we need to look at uh, and address our own role in some of the bad things that happen in the world, take ownership of them and do things to address that rather than just shutting it down and saying, we're Jews, uh, we can't do anything wrong. So is it, <clears throat> Ed, is it, a, is it a substantive question of not doing the right things or is it a marketing problem? Is it a social media marketing problem? We're just I think not getting it out there. 
I no. think it's both, Marshall. I think I think I think that I think that you know, I I look back at at the heyday of Hasbara in in you know after the '67 war, the interim period between 1967 and 1973, where Jews went from an obscure people and an obscure little piece of territory in the Middle East to being. Um, um, you know, the strong, self-sufficient, everybody wants to be a friend of uh, heyday. It took, it took some lumps in 73, uh, and then it took big lumps uh, in, in, in the 80s when, when, with, with the invasion of Lebanon. I don't dispute what happened in those circumstances, but I, I, I do think that you can look at worldviews towards Israel, towards um, settlements towards the occupation or, you know, the, the recovery of, or in the more extreme circles, the colonization of. Um, I, 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 I think that, that we need to do a better job of explaining what we do well and um, um, owning what we don't do well and seeing if we can't fix it. So I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, I don't know what the ratio is, 50-50 or not, uh, but I do believe it's a two-edged problem where we don't, we don't sing our own praises sufficiently. We don't get people to recognize the good work that we're doing around the world. But by the same token, uh, we, we, we tend to get very defensive when anyone criticizes us, either as a people uh, or as a nation. Rabbi Eliezer, I have a I have a core philosophical disagreement with that. First, I, I just want to make one point. There is a very big difference between Al Sharpton, who instigated the only pogrom in American history, walked the streets of Brooklyn and has put a whole Jewish community in terror, and he's he was an or, he was the owner of a pogrom, documented in a report by the governor of the state of New York, who somehow gets politically rehabilitated, and during the Obama administration is welcomed over a hundred times in the White House. And it's just shocking that that man should have any political standing in this country or at an AOC or these other people who have political power than those which I mentioned before, except very few on the other end of the spectrum who don't have political power. And that's what my difference is. I'm not saying Al Sharpton is an immoral, evil human being, but he has power. And people run to him for approval to become a, a political elected official, the man who instigated a pogrom against Jews in Brooklyn in Crown Heights. So I think there's a vast difference between those with political power who, for some reason, it's OK to be anti-Semitic and the, and the few weirdos on the other end of the spectrum who don't have that political power, even though there are probably few that do, but they're very marginal. Number two, the issue of anti-Semitism goes to a much deeper core. It's not just what we do, it's who we are, because the very core is Jews came to Mount Sinai and were given the message to the world of justice, decency, monotheism. And guess what? Not everybody wants to hear that message. And you have to ask yourself a question. If the Christians hated us and the Muslims hated us, different historical periods, and then we had we suffered through the secularists, which was communism and, and, and fascism of Germany, which were totally anti-religious movements that tried to hate us, that hated us. And then afterwards, we're now we're dealing with different issues here in America. Now we have the hatred of Israel. Every spectrum, every end of the political spectrum at one period in history didn't like us too much. What's the point? We are the canary in the coal mine because we come to the world with a message and saying, listen, there's an idea of belief in one God. There's an idea of justice. There's an idea of dignity. And those ideas challenge 
other human beings and it makes them uncomfortable because it makes them uncomfortable to the degree of anti-Semitism. And finally, we can do a lot of nice things and get, yeah, you're right. When there was a, there was an earthquake in, 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 in Haiti or a tsunami in Japan, the first group of campers on the ground were, were Chabad rabbis and then afterwards other people followed. The hilarious thing I have to tell you is when the Israeli army arrived in Haiti, they didn't have any food with them. We had to buy thousands of kosher MREs because they came, to, they came, but they weren't equipped. Now they've learned a little better. So when they came to Nepal, they had no place to say, we hired hotel rooms so they could take showers. But it's not about being, oh, I'm so wonderful because I did this. Face the fact. There's anti-Semitism because we have a message. And that message is of monotheism, of justice, of dignity. And some people resent that message. And, I, and one final point. Part of the whole, and we can't solve this whole problem because there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like us. But when we go and say, oh, it's because our Jews are not perfect and Israel is not perfect. But at the same time, we have to realize that there is a deeper reason for this anti-Semitism. And when we're proud Jews and we act with dignity to other people, which includes also doing what Ed said, doing acts of kindness and compassion for the human beings, people are going to respect us for who we are. But we found throughout history, when the Jews of Germany wanted to assimilate all the way, guess what happened? What was the result? When the Jews in Russia wanted to become the best communists, what happened? And the Jews in America who want to hide their Jewishness because please like me a little bit. I want to join the country club. Now we can join the country club. It's the opposite. What I find is the only guy who looks like this on the panel. And if anybody's going to attract anti-Semitism of all, it's going to be me. I have I have almost never had an anti-Semitic account a t- thing in my life, except what, you know, very rarely. And I stood up to it and that shocked them. You know, one day some somebody's came to beat up my kids and because they were Jews. So I went out with a baseball bat and I told the kids, I'm going to beat you up. So the cops came. The cops came to my house. He said, what are you doing? I said, listen, nobody beats up a Jew because they're a Jew. He says, you can't do that. I said, you better take care of them because I will on myself. In other words, to be unafraid to stand up for who we are and in it with a sense of dignity. Thank God I never had to raise a hand against another human being in my life. But the point is, we have to act with a sense of pride and we have to act with the pride in our values. And then people are going to respect us. And what I have discovered in America, and I believe that America is what is called the Medina Shalchesed, a country of compassion, a country of goodness. The very core values of the society are remarkable. We conquered Japan. We turned it into an independent, thriving democracy that does business and competes with us. The same thing we did in Europe. We don't take other people's countries. We're a different kind of society. This is not inherently a bad country. And I think there's also a degree of alarmism in the Jewish community about anti-Semitism, making it a little bit sometimes more than it is, because instead of focusing on Jewish learning, instead of focusing on Jewish observance, focusing on Jewish spirituality, we got to be Jewish. So now we have something to get excited about. And the ADL and other groups can raise money because there's three more anti-Semitic attacks. There's a problem out there. It's real. But we also have to put it into focus. I feel very secure as a Jew in America. Uh, how Susan, does the how uh, does the the play out of anti-Semitism in the United States in American society interlock or intertwine with people's views toward Israel, Israel's behavior on the world stage? How, how is this? How, I think, do they I think, reinforce I think each other? Very, do they not reinforce each other? They reinforce each other. And I'll give you the classic example, because I've been de- dealing doing battle with the L.A. Times over the last week and a half. They've had three stories by a reporter in Lebanon about the about the destruction in Gaza. Now, the destruction in Gaza is real, 
I have sent to the LA Times and I, one editor responded to me point by point criticisms of these articles, not malicious criticism. Why don't you give context? Why don't you explain that what Hamas's intention is? Why don't you tell, uh, tell them that Hamas causes the war? They don't want to print it. They don't want to print it. Why don't they want to print it? Because they're in this kind of woke kind of world over there, that reporter. And I got to show now what has happened to the people of, of Gaza is an absolute tragedy. The fact is that I heard a briefing from a senior military commander on the Gaza border a week and a, two weeks ago, and he told me one of the great tragedies, young people can't leave the country. They can't go anywhere. And yes, last week, on a, a couple of days ago on Israeli TV, there was a whole piece about the children of the leaders of Hamas, how these people are worth hundreds of millions of dollars that they stole from the poor people of Gaza. And what's the point? You attack Israel. They respond. And to stop the attacks because they're tired of sitting in bomb shelters, then it looks bad to the world. So you must be bad people. And the Los Angeles Times does not have the moral courage to act like true journalists and to write the real story. Because I don't know, maybe they're anti semitic I don't know if they're, they're, they're I'm not going to go read in their feelings about what it is. So we have a story and sometimes it's not sweet. But right now, there's one difference. The difference is for years for thousands of years, Jews could not stand up for themselves. And one of the things I saw in Israel two weeks ago is I showed up very privately, the F-35, the new, new most advanced fighter jet in the world that almost nobody gets to see. Why I got it is a whole different story. Guess what? Today, Jews have F-35s. We ain't going to be knocked around anymore. And that bothers people because they want the quiet, vulnerable Jew. Oh, you're cute. You're nice. You eat kugel. You talk about God a little bit. Now you got the Jew who's proud is going to stand up gets a lot of people a little bit nervous. Susan, I just want to ask you, you're, you're the one who's interfacing with some of the people at, that uh, the rabbi's talking about at LA Times, you know, basically um, people who at least maybe approach the, these issues um, with some hostility, particularly towards Israel. How do we, how do, how do you, or how do we address those people and maybe begin to change their perceptions or is it a hopeless case? Um, I don't think it's a hopeless case because I, I know it's not a hopeless case. I've seen understandings and perspectives change on the ground when I've take when I've taken people to Israel to expose them to the complexities and the various narratives in the region. Um, I in fact I would just getting back to something that Ed had said about um, about kind of having allies in this and, and education around this. Um, one of the most virulent fighters of anti-Semitism I know is a friend of mine who is a Pakistani Muslim. She's an American citizen, Pakistani Muslim, who um, you know fights anti-Semitism in the Muslim community more boldly than many of the Jewish people I know. So, you know, having allies like that is really important, combating misinformation in the communities that we don't necessarily have um, a voice, you know, that, that we're listened to. And, um, and, but getting to your point about knowing some of these people, you know, I, <laughs> when we're talking about things like Gaza, I communicated with a, a colleague of mine who lives in Gaza, who is not affiliated with Hamas, and who's a humanitarian worker. And it, that's part of the education on all sides is to remember to separate these national national actors and the, the uh, military actors from the people who are enduring this, both in Israel and Gaza, um, because those people are the victims. And to kind of remember to focus on those people and that they are the uh, victims of all the misinformation in a way that 
in a way that we are not when we're, sh- when we, um, you know, kind of go along with hyperbole and extremist language on either side in our own communities as well. We're not helping the people who are the um, the victims of the actual violence. Um, and also, I you know, I agree with something Rabbi said um, about, uh, you know, the, the Jews kind of being the canary in the coal mine. And again, to me, that gets back to our allyship because there are people in myriad communities who recognize that, who recognize that Jews are the canary in the coal mine. And, you know, it's the the poem, I've always forget the person's name, you know, the person they came for the, you know, the Bonhoeffer, you know, yes, exactly. Thank you. And Yad Vashem, you know, and there are communities who recognize that and they recognize the Jews is having that, you know, and, you know, I had friends in the LGBTQ community who recognize that and are concerned about what's going on in, in terms of antisemitism and, um, and this conflating of, of um, international and then regional kind of affairs. Um, and then, and then I also kind of agree with what the rabbi said about um, this tendency to towards alarmist, um, alarmist language and alarmist calling out of um, antis. I mean, my friend Peter Levy, who's the director of the ADL here in in Orange County and Long Beach, um, you know, he 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 reports that. Um, over the the period of the Israel Gaza conflict, you know, anti-Semitic incidents were du- doubled nationally, um, and yet I, it's same thing with what was going on during the violence, you know, and people would talk to me about what was going on, and I have friend who lives in Jaffa where we know that some of that violence occurred, but his children, young children, go to a school for Arabs and Jews. And they went, I checked in with him. They got up and took their kids to school every day during that episode. You know, so those are the things that we don't know that are that are happening that aren't getting reported. Um, and those are the kinds of things that, that the kind of education that we engaged in at OTI, you know, this, this experiential education, this immersive education, it's, it's so valuable. Um, and and there are myriad programs that do this kind of thing that where it's a person to person and you're hearing from the people themselves and how they're affected and how language hurts and how, you know, their self-identity is being um, mis, miscommunicated and um, um, I've just forgotten the word appropriated by, you know, the opposing community in ways that are painful and all. So those so it's not a it's not a hopeless cause and yes transformation is absolutely possible it's absolutely possible i saw it all the time with the students and the community community members that i worked with who went into the region understanding one thing having one completely solid identification and conviction about what they thought politically and coming away with a completely new understanding of the of the the situation for themselves and to share and they went on and shared that with others as well. So yeah, Ed, yes, sorry. Yeah, I I wanted to, I wanted to back up what, what Susan was saying, not only about OTI, but about, about the, the, the need for the check-in and the communication and the recognition of all people as people. Um, And, 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 and to, to go back a little bit on, on some of uh, Rabbi Eliezer's points, particularly with respect to why is it that the ADL is reaching out to people like Al Sharpton? Why is it that, that we're trying to seek dialogue with people who don't like us very much? 
excuse me, Ed, there's a very... They have, in fact, you know, perpetrated horrible things against us in the past. The reality is, is that, you know, um, <clears throat> as, as Brian Stevenson says, nobody wants to be remembered permanently for the worst thing that they ever did in life, especially if there are other things they, they, that they do. Um, and, and, and I think that we, again, I think that I'm going to say it once more, we have our own cancel culture among Jews where we try and, and, and vilify people on the basis of past acts uh, and not look to see, A, why is it that Al Sharpton has such power? Why is it that his message resonates among the people that he rabble rouses when he does get on that rabble rousing kick? Uh, I think that after his illness, uh, Al Sharpton changed dramatically, not only physically, but, but mentally. Uh, I think that he is uh, dedicated himself to a certain extent at building bridges, which he had spent a lot of time tearing down in the past. And quite frankly, if we're going to have any voice in the African-American community in New York, and in the centers that he has power in, he's the person we have to convince. And if we just write him off as, as uh, uh, an anti-Semite or a blowhard or a pogrom instigator and don't look to ways that we can work together, find areas of common agreement, uh, uh, allow him to a certain extent to rehabilitate himself, educate him, bring him around, then we write off that entire community and we go on for another generation being the hated little people that we are. Um, so from that standpoint, I think that I hearken back to an article I read a long time ago uh, by Paul Warnke that was in Foreign Affairs that it had to do with the salt talks in, uh, between the US and the Soviet Union. And what he said is that, look, we've been fighting the same battle with these people for decades, and it's not getting us anywhere. Nothing has changed. And as Rabbi said, yes, in every generation, in every millennium, in every century, uh, Jews seem to be hated. It's because, and I, I, I think to a certain extent it is because we have a message. I think to a certain extent it's because there are preternatural um, um, uh, angers that different people have towards other people. I think humans are tribal animals. But by the same token, if, if, the, if the patterns of activity haven't changed and our behaviors haven't changed at the same time, maybe it's a time to look at the way we communicate and the way we behave in order to try and see if we can't get off the treadmill and start engaging with one another. And um, um, to, 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 to lob missiles uh, and, and to... You know, anytime a missile comes from Gaza, you know, my, my feeling is, okay, well, the artillery comes around in about 15, 20 minutes. Um, the bottom line is that we keep throwing the same rocks at each other year after year, decade after decade, century after century, and then wonder why we can't get along. We can't get along because we dismiss one, one another's viewpoints. We can't get along because we write each other off. Uh, for, for, for the things that we did before, the things we, we need to do. We don't look to Al Sharpton to explain to us why it is that they're so angry at us because we don't respect what he has to say and we discount it. Um, I think that the only way we're ever going to progress out of the hole that we're in as a society is if we, sit, if, 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 if we start to simply communicate, listen to one another and recognize that People don't just hate for the sake of hating. They usually have a reason. 
And if they don't have a reason, then maybe you can educate them out of their viewpoints. And I think that that's where the idea of good works come in, is, is, is a way of showing people that the biases that they have, regardless of where they may have come from, whether it's racism, institutional or not, whether it's uh, uh, hatred that they learned at home, whether it's a hatred they learned in their community, if it's a hatred they learned in their church, it's based on irrational fear. And the only way to overcome that is to let people see us for who we are, as the good people we are, as the believing people that we are, and, and, and try and work with them constructively rather than writing them off uh, in a knee-jerk fashion and shutting them down. On the right, there's this big concern uh, about the left and cancel culture. We need to recognize the cancel cultures that we exercise ourselves and try and get past the stereotypes we hold of other people and, and, and their motivations and their rationalities for doing the things that we do. I, I like to say one thing. There is a profound difference between Al Sharpton and anybody else. And I want to tell you the reason why, because I know a lot more about Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton instigated a pogrom against the Jewish people. Al Sharpton denied he did it. Al Sharpton was spoken to privately by Jewish leaders and said, you want to make peace, come back to Crown Heights and apologize for what you did. Those Jewish leaders, primarily from the reform movement and the, and the ADL, tried to engage him. And they realized that he has not changed. He's the same piece of trash now that he was then. And they have severed their relationship with them after travel, tra after after having it, because they did what we warned them strongly about who he was. And they make recognize up close that he's the same immoral, illegal, anti, not immoral, immoral anti-Semite now that he was before. And he's a pathological liar. And for us as a community that suffered a pogrom because of this man, for another Jewish organization to give him a pass when he won't come back and say, I made a mistake and I'm wrong for those hundreds of children that sat homes and lived in a pogrom is immoral for those Jewish organizations. And I mean it when I say it. Nobody has a right to give him a pass. We're the ones who lived in terror. And those people, I can tell you, the leaders of the reform movement have told me privately that they made a terrible mistake inviting him to their conference and, and Greenblatt, uh, Greenblatt, the head of the ADL, has cut off all relationships with him because he knows what we have warned about him. He's been approached privately. He doesn't want to change. He is who he is. He's, an, he's a, a liar and a thief, stole from taxes on every level. And how American can give him a pass? And I don't, by, by the way, I'm part of the group that reaches out to everybody in the society, from the right to the left, from all that. But a person who brings violence and says, I never did it and won't apologize, is not somebody that we can do business with. However, other segments of the society, I do agree with you. And that, and I agree with them particularly within the Jewish community, that we have to try to reach between the different ends of the community and have a connection, one person to another, ones we don't even, we don't agree with them profoundly. And, you know, there was a, there was a member of the Israeli Supreme Court called Chaim Cohen, who was the most anti-religious member of the Israeli Supreme Court. There was an article published about this a few days ago. He was the most anti-religious member. In 1975, he came to the Simchat Torah celebration at the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he got the greatest honor, and the whole Jewish world was sheltered. Here was the most anti-religious guy in the Israeli Supreme Court, made all kinds of laws against religious people, and he got the greatest sense of honor, because we have to treat people we don't agree with with dignity and respect. But you can't take a man 
who instigates violence and organizes a pogrom and says, I never did it and I won't apologize and give him honor. So Al Sharpton is out of the game. And any Jewish organization, I want to say up front, that will try to engage with him, we will protest it publicly, privately, as being an immoral act. The re- but, and I, I also agree with this idea of building allies and working with other groups. But he, in my mind, is what we call traif. He is an evil man. And so I'm sorry for being so strong about this, but I know no, how but the, so the, many the, the point, though, the point is, you know, I, I can see both sides of this. I can see that there are, I, I can see there are people who are, you know, beyond the pale and beyond the, you know, beyond consideration for working. But I think everybody on this call pretty much agrees that the only real solution is outreach, continued outreach. Um, you know, we want to, as a scientist myself, I'm a big believer in genetic memory. I believe that if you go generation after generation after generation and instill a particular set of values or a particular set of thinking, somehow that gets ingrained in people's underlying values. And if Ed, Ed I think, makes a very valid point, which is you know, you've got to look at how to break that cycle at some point. So and break it, Marshall, with a person who has no regret and no remorse. And he is that person. Other people, I agree with you. But not yet. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I want to thank everybody for what I'm sorry for getting very... so excited about that subject, but it's really personally sensitive for me. No, no, I understand it. We, and we respect that. We respect that. The This has been just a fascinating conversation. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for your time, for your wonderful views. And uh, God willing, we'll have this uh, conversation a year from now, and, and hopefully things will. Uh, will have improved in the in the the climate on anti-Semitism. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. It was a pleasure.